0: Colorado Hockey Pop Pop Podcast
1: March 11th, 2020 The Colorado Avalanche defeat the New York Rangers 3-2 in overtime And then, silence The sports world as we know it came to an end So did everything else We all work from home now We all change our clothes every other day Sometimes we take showers and sometimes we don't Fact is, the world isn't the same without sports The good news is that it's coming back Or at least hockey is anyways And in celebration, we reached out to one of our favorite reporters, the only reporter who will actually be there in Edmonton for the games, Adrian Dater. This is a long-form podcast, just a conversation between two dudes, so find something to do, stick this in your ears, and enjoy. More to come. We kick off with Dater telling me about how he managed to get himself into Edmonton in the first place.
0: Yeah, let me walk you through it. Uh, Gosh, when, when this whole thing, you know, was official that Edmonton would be Hub City, um, it was always my intent to, to try and cover the team wherever they were. We all thought it was going to be Las Vegas at first, and and that's what it would have been if they didn't have a huge spike in cases. Um, so for a long time I was looking at, you know, Airbnbs and everything in Las Vegas. I had a, you know, even a friend there I was thinking of hitting up or crashing his you know basement or something, and uh, but when that fell through, um, you know, I think Ed, or Vancouver was the next on their list, and I started looking up places there, and then I knew that was a lot more expensive, so I was kind of dreading Vancouver being the place. But the uh, health minister there in Vancouver said, "No, no dice. We don't want, we don't want your crowd here." And uh, so Edmonton, (laughs) Alberta, uh, uh, which has very few cases and very, very little, um, you know, population and everything else here, said, yeah, come on here. Uh, So we're all here in Edmonton now. But I I didn't think I'd be here because uh, originally I booked a ticket uh, on Air Canada and they, you know, I screwed this up. Uh, They sent me an email back saying my flight was canceled. Well, I didn't read the email close enough. Uh, it was only the return trip that was canceled, um, and I stupidly wrote that Air Canada on Twitter was canceling my flight, even though the flight was still available for sale. I um, quickly learned that that was not the case, that that, um, that the flight to Edmonton was still for sale, um, so I deleted the tweet. Now I love Air Canada. Uh, I have nothing but good things to say about Air Canada. They got me to Edmonton uh, two nights ago. I took a flight from Denver to Vancouver, the originally scheduled flight. There was nobody at DIA. There was nobody at the Vancouver airport, but somehow I took flights from both places to end up here in this um, very old apartment building in Edmonton, uh, an Airbnb. I'm down for 37 nights right now. I think the total cost is – $980, I think that comes out to like $25 a day. And and here I am, you know, it's always been my, you know, attitude or whatever thought process that, you know, um, if I'm going to be a journalist covering something, I'm going to want to be at the place where it happens. And, um, you know, to me, there was no question that I would do whatever it took financially or whatever it is to be here for this and uh and so i am here uh um if the avalanche go on a stanley cup run i may have no money left at the end of my uh, my run here i uh may be begging for for more donations but uh it's uh it's a pleasure to be here and i'm uh, i'm serving day three of a 14-day quarantine which is acquired by the uh, canadian government which uh which i'm happy to serve well happy to serve, maybe happy, maybe the wrong word, but willing to serve it. Uh, and that's, that's how I'm here.
1: What does a quarantine look like? So when they, when your time's up, will they test you again or what, what are those details around
0: there? I don't think they're going to test us. Uh, the word I get from the NHL is, you know, again, this is all very, you know, everything's been on the fly basically. Uh, so I don't think they have every last detail. But now but i think they what they've told the media is uh, you can if you're credentialed you you don't have to i don't think you have to have a test every day you're gonna have to have your temperature taken and uh you know ask questions about your your health and everything if you're, if you're sitting there coughing at the entrance gate you're probably going to be denied um so so that's that i mean you've got a temperature check that's one thing i think the I know the maximum allo- allowed at the Avalanche uh, training camp was 102 degrees. So, uh, hey, if you've got a temperature over 102, you- you're not going to want to go anywhere anyway. So, yeah, it's uh, pretty I ch- high. Checked temp. in at 98 degrees every single day, uh, 97.5, I think, my first day. And uh, uh, I don't, so we're not going to have to do a test, but, but also we're not going to be allowed to be on the arena floor for the games we're not going to be allowed really anywhere near the players during this whole thing um (laughs) so you ask, why am i here to cover this uh when i'm not even going to be able to be in the locker room or interview a player in person anywhere um i guess the answer to that question would be because i've still got to be in the building where it's happened i got to be where the action is um there's a lot of other stories i can tell uh from from the building i think that being in the building won't you know will give me a a not bird's eye view on things that other people won't have to me that's valuable as a journalist and uh and you know it doesn't i'm not trying to sound like a hero when i say that but it's just just the way you know it's just the way i'm i think most journalists would say that if they can afford it and, and get in they're gonna do it you know um Surprisingly, though, I haven't heard of many other U.S. journalists that are that are doing this. I think I'm right now only have a really small handful of people are doing this. So uh, it feels kind of weird, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens when they open up the doors. Who's around arena?
1: Who's around from Colorado? How many reporters from from our state are out there?
0: Say that one more time.
1: Who's around from Colorado? I know that you're out there. Do we have any other
0: groups out there? Newspapers I don't think so. I don't think so. No, no, I don't think anybody else is coming. That's awesome.
1: I think that it's an experience though, that you have to be in. It's almost like putting on your uniform, right? As a, as a journalist, you, you have to be, I mean, you couldn't be more immersed right now. You actually couldn't be more immersed and not immersed at the same time. It's funny.
0: That's what I say. Life's about experiences. You know, I'm going to have a story that nobody else can ever tell probably when this is over, even though it might cost me a fortune and really I won't have too many other advantages, when it comes to interviewing players as other people do, it's still an experience that I can say that other people don't. And to me that that matters, especially at my age, you know, 55 years old. I mean, it's, it's about experiences.
1: Well, you're and out I there too, no matter what happens, right? So your first line, you, you're going to see things, your boots on the ground. So if it all goes well, cool. No. It's not the most amazing story, but who knows? It's so yeah, wild gonna right have,
0: now. I'm going to have like a 10 second advantage on everybody too on Twitter. Like the game's going to happen and uh, it's going to be like a 10 second delay. So I'm going to still know everything before anybody else knows it out there in the U.S. and Denver. So hopefully (laughs) I I would warn my Twitter followers, um, follow me at your own peril for the playoffs because uh, if you want to know what's happening 10 seconds before it actually did happen, um, you'll want to follow me. Or if you don't want to (laughs) know, you better put me on mute because I do plan to tweet live from the scene unless they tell me you can't, which they may do, I wonder. I, I actually think they may do that. I don't know why um, they would do that. That's crazy. They may do that because they don't want their own broadcast to be, uh, you know, one up probably by media of the scenes. I didn't know uh, we'll like to watch it.
1: I mean, I guess there's no yeah. blackout rules, right?
0: I don't think they'll really care that much about 10 seconds, but uh, you know, there's only going to be, I've heard there's only going to be thirty thirty 30 credentialed media for the whole, each hub city. Um and I was lucky enough to get one of those thirty credentials. So, oh, let's be honest, um, you
1: burned it, right? I think you're as long term as long term can be for. Uh, our
0: you, team. you can. You can say that, maybe, but I, you know, I sound like a dick if I say it. So, that's right. Yeah, I think twenty five cool. years has helped. <laughs> I think twenty five years does help me. I did write that. Wow. Yeah, I'd need some right people to ask for credentials, but, you know, it doesn't really matter in the long run. You know, the fact is, you know, I covered the team this year from wire to wire and, uh, you know, traveled to most of the games. So, um, you know, I think that that in the end, that's what matters.
1: And you're only going to have Zoom access to the players for interviews, right? The same thing they've been doing here locally?
0: Uh, The players on Zoom have been all just like they are in locker, really. (laughs) Same answers. Same rope answers the questions. Um, I think that's a fascinating discussion for a whole other episode sometimes is, you know, how media coverage of uh, teams is going to change maybe from here on out, even even when the pandemic lifts. Um, there's players and teams I think are going to think, uh, boy, you know, maybe this was pretty easy for us doing this whole Zoom thing. You know, why do we need to have people in the building? Uh, why do we need to have them asking questions that we can't? control or interview sessions. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting question. I'm glad I'm old enough to, uh, to not have to stress about that so much. If I was a 20 year old coming up with this business, I'd be very stressed out right now uh, uh, you, because you, I don't, you know, you've
1: got some people now, right? So on your site, you have a couple of just recent college grads helping you out now. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got a kid from Arizona state. Who's uh, a good kid who, uh, produces my podcast. Can't hear what Jeremy says. It's uh in honor of course of Patrick Waz. Great quote about Jeremy roenick And uh yeah, I just hired a kid from uh graduated CU three years ago. Scott McDonald's. Uh he he uh he actually had a credential for the Eagles and D U hockey this year. And uh young, hungry kid, that's kinda of what I you know, was looking for. Somebody somebody who works for the right price too. Yeah, that was that was part of it. Uh so, uh, yeah, so Scott's written a couple stories, and, uh, you know, we'll see we'll see how that goes. And, uh, you know, I'm not some uh, magnate here throwing money around too much, but uh, I do want some more varied voices on my site. I don't want everybody to just have to read my old tired voice all the time. But uh, I can tell you that I really feel good about running my own site and totally different about, everything uh, since I started doing this uh, about a year ago it's a totally different change uh, of mindset for me
1: we've talked a lot throughout the years and uh, you've had some hesitation about technology or how it was going to play out and we would talk about what some of the uh, longstanding guys have been doing but to me this couldn't be going any better for you I mean you're kind of gone from a site to a platform with these other people helping you out which is going to free you up to do a lot maybe longer pieces more in-depth pieces or just try new things and to me that's all wins
0: well, I think it's all wins if you just, you know, give stuff people want to read. I, I will caution about long pieces and in depth pieces. Um, I wrote long in depth pieces for two years at Bleach Report before I left the Denver Post. And uh those got crickets for traffic. Uh you know what got the most traffic? Was top ten lists, you know. Listicles. Yeah. Listicles. So it's very frustrating. Uh you know, I think uh people who try to do long form journalism right now still uh having Numbers that don't look so good. Everybody says they want long quality journalism, but you know, unless you're in the New York Times, it's a tough go, especially in sports. Um, but overall, I'll always agree with your point. Like, long quality, best journalism in depth is, is always what we should strive for. And if you sell out to the lowest common denominator, uh, I don't know. You still might get rich doing it. <laughs> I mean, um, you could write another book. Yeah. I don't know. I think books uh, books are a tough game. It's uh, I've only had one book that's made me any real money. Um, and that was Blood Feud, the book as Red Wing Rivalry book. Um, the other books didn't sell that good, you know. Books are tough. Books are very tough, especially in twenty twenty. You know. Nobody could go to a bookstore anymore for one thing. I know everybody usually buys books on Amazon too, but uh, you know, it's tough. You know, you don't, how many people scroll lists of latest books out, you know, and on Amazon or I don't know. It's just, I find book sales to be very frustrating thing. There's a couple of books I wrote that I thought would sell real well and didn't. And, uh, kind of leaves you disillusioned. I I think, uh, I am going to try and start a novel though. You want to hear the premise? I do. It's called called, uh, placebo. Uh, Political parties in trouble of their re-election effort unless they get a vaccine in time. Uh, Time's running out. So what do they do? They cook up a fake vaccine, fool enough people to win the election, maybe or maybe not. Uh, And uh, it's all placebo placebo effect and uh the people who knew about the placebo plan may have to be murdered all uh, by the political party when all is said and done so stay tuned what do you think I, like
1: I don't know if you can write it quick enough though
0: i think i can write pretty quick i might call it a novella you know
1: yeah that would be fancy too 20, So forty
0: thousand words maybe i get it sold <laughs> as an option to some screenplay you
1: know you write like other people talk though i mean it's strange
0: things have happened
1: yeah i I think you could do it for sure i don't know if you're serious about it but i actually liked what you said
0: i mean even if i sold it just on my own like on amazon all right i'll take you know dollar 99 or something you know maybe i get a few bucks off it i don't know yeah, I've got nothing else to do for the next twelve days. I'm I'm fair, seriously thinking about just spending like a solid week doing it. I mean, I feel like I feel like I'd write you know two thousand words a day easily. After a week, 20,000 twenty thousand words—that's a novella. That's enough. People don't maybe don't want to read a hundred thousand word novel. You know, I don't know if I'm that good to write that either. I don't you- do dialogue very well at all.
1: How do you go about your writing? Do you wake up, put on the, the work clothes, and spend four hours? Or are you more no. inspiration-based? Or
0: No. No, I don't do that. Uh, um, I'm a deadline guy. I think that's all, why I've always been a, a newspaper writer, a sports writer. <laughs> I need that whip cracking on me a little bit to uh, to, pr- to perform. Um, I have written a screenplay before where I got up every day at, at 8 a.m. and wrote, two pages a day. Uh, I wrote that about 10 years ago. Uh, It was a political thriller too, just a little bit like what I just said, but it was, it was much different. Um, didn't sell, but, uh, I gave it a real shot. uh, I like it. I like to write, but I, I don't feel like I want to be forced to write at a certain time or anything. Uh, I pretty much roll out of bed when I do, unless I'm on a clock, of course, with sports, which I usually am, you know, it's weird during the pandemic. You're sort of, uh, you know, you're sort of trying to make your own schedule all the time. Um, that's been good for me in some ways and bad in other ways. I can be lazy. All these times I'll have these big fits of, you know, inspiration where I, you know, I, I work hard. I uh, I always work hard at the job when I'm there, but I uh, I do like to relax when I'm away from the job. So I'm not one of those guys who's going to have to get up and maniacally, you know, um, you know, obsessively write every single day. Um, I probably wish I would be like that, I'd probably be a richer person, uh, maybe be, you know, uh, Stephen King or, um, you know, anybody, you name uh, out there has sold a lot of books. Um, and that's frustrating like a frustrating thing for me. I go through periods where I say, you know, you didn't work hard enough, you know, so I, I say to myself, you know, you probably should have been like that. You probably would have been a rich mansion right now but you know you know me well enough to know where i don't even know if i had been a happier guy as a, a rich guy writing you know trashy novels living in a mansion i'm not sure that would be even make me any happier or not so I probably know. not
1: i think money just magnifies <laughs> what you already are right you I got problems they that get bigger if you're happy you i definitely get think
0: that's true yeah i like money but i don't obsess about it i've always i told somebody this the other night you picked me up from the airport or media buddy of mine um uh, who's very guy who bought me bags of groceries and you know awesome um you know i uh i don't uh you know i just i never got into this business to get rich i just uh you know i've always to be able to you know if i've got enough money in my pocket for a good good sandwich and a good cup of coffee and uh, well back in my drinking days i would set a beer or two but uh you know uh i'm happy guy you know that's all that's all i need
1: Yeah, I hear you, man. I think that um, you've survived in the industry where a lot of other people haven't too, and you've seen some things. I'm not trying to, I I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure you started reporting before the internet was really a huge thing, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm trying to say that as nicely as I can. Uh, yeah. But, and then I mean you kind of you went through that, you survived that the papers pretty much got disrupted to the point where it 's all online, and then suddenly people can 't deal with more than five hundred words or a thousand words at a time and then it 's yeah. a Twitter thing, and everyone 's a reporter, and it 's just really fascinating this kind of journey you 've taken to end up where you yeah. are today in a room by yourself for a couple of weeks before hockey starts, and hopefully we yeah. end up with a cup
0: yeah man I, I tell you what i I've, I admitted this recently, and i 've always admitted this i think my early days of the paper you know i would say you know i'm definitely objective i don't care who wins or loses um when you run your own site though and your livelihood depends on subscriptions of the team you cover <laughs> uh, i can tell you firsthand that winning teams sell more subscriptions though. <laughs> so so yeah i'm like go abs
1: <laughs> yeah you know, uh,
0: i do hope i come home with a cup to uh, to bring home a cup here, I've done it twice, so you know um, it's. Uh, I've covered two Stanley Cup winners here as an Avalanche beat writer, and I do hope there's a third. Uh, I think this team's got a real shot. I really do. Like yeah. Said they could lose in the first round and get swept. I mean, everybody thought the Tampa Bay Lightning were going to breeze to the cup last year, um, and you know you could have gotten like hundred thousand to one odds They'd, they they would have got swept by the. Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets but that's exactly what happened so there's no guarantees they have a really good ah, young team but uh, I'm they can still get really swept am. just as easily it's such a advice. It, it's I mean, not they even should a win hope. a cup in the next five years if they don't win a cup in the next five years it's going to be um, a, a, you know disappointed to them the level that like something went really wrong you know something screwed up, something went bad really happened, something tragically bad or something, because they really should win a cup in the next five years, I think, with their young talent that they have either on the team already or still coming up through the system. Everybody talks about Byram and Timmons and their defense, but don't forget about Alex Newhook, too, from Boston College. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't have to get on a big tangent here about the attitude. But you know, Alex Newhook from Boston College, is, I mean, he's to—he was one of the best college players in the nation this year, and uh, he's only going to get better. There's two center right there, or possible number one if he keeps progressing. That's going to be around for you know ten, fifteen years for the Avalanche and be a rock in their top two lines. I mean, the, there's just a lot to look forward to here now and in the future.
1: Well, we got a lot of contracts coming up, too, and I think that McKinnon's gone on record saying that he'll even take a little bit of a, a hometown discount because he believes in this team. And like you said, I think that if we win in the next three to five years, I think this team has a great future. If we don't, I think it really falls apart because a lot of guys have been here on faith and, you know, on a contract that kept him here. I'd be real curious to see where that lands us, though.
0: Well, I don't think anybody's going to base a decision on – staying or not with the eye based on if they win a cup for next two or three years they're, they're gonna do it on what they're offered and what their market value is uh, um, don't believe too much that Nathan McKinnon gonna take two minutes of a discount if he does uh, he's already taken a whole hometown discount <laughs> yeah this last few years he's gonna get paid he's gonna want and his agents gonna want they're gonna say hey, Nathan that's very nice of you but yeah we're gonna sell them for every dollar they're worth now um, so but you know, the larger point is, you know, they have a very good young team. Um, the question still is: Is their goaltending going to be good enough? to they have a great, you know, a good enough goaltender? I mean, the only the only goalie he's ever won a Stanley Cup for the Avs is Patrick Wah, and, and he's do you always guy. Lights I,
1: out goalie, though, or can you get away with a pretty good goalie and a really good team?
0: Uh, yeah, you can get away with a pretty good goalie. I mean, Detroit did a couple times with Chris Osgood, so you know, other other teams have done it. I mean, I don't, I don't think. Uh, you know, I don't think Pittsburgh was the I don't think Matt Murray was the be all and all's goalie, but he won a couple of cups at Pittsburgh. Um yeah, so yeah, you can definitely win with a mediocre goalie or average goalie, but uh um you know, you need a you need a tough, tough guy though mentally. Uh yeah, we'll see. That I think that's still the last thing. I mean, everybody needs to still prove themselves mentally. Nathan McKinnon does, Gabe Blamescog does, Michael Rannon does. Yeah. Uh, Everybody needs to get over that next big hurdle, which is at least getting to the conference finals and then getting to the finals and then actually winning the cup. And there's so much stuff involved. And, uh, you know, the guys who win it are just, um, you know, obsessive to the point of, you know, uh, ridiculousness. It's always the guys who work the hardest, it seems like to me. Sidney Crosby just outworks everybody. Even though he's the most talented guy, he still outworks everybody, too. Um, that's what it comes down to. Joe Sackett worked harder than anybody else in the locker room, uh, in the weight room back in his days. You know, Peter Forsberg, he didn't work so hard off the ice, really, but he was just so damn good that he'd get away with it. But even Patrick Wada was working 24-7 all the time on his game. That's what it comes down to, his obsessiveness about success, really. Um, some of these guys have guys, still got to prove it to me. You know, Nathan McKinnon talks a good game, and he really works hard off the ice. But can he perform in the very, very biggest games? You know, he, he didn't uh, He didn't in game five uh, or what was it? Game? One of the games they lost in San Jose, he kind of laid an egg. I think that was the road game uh, before they won uh, – before they won Game Five, I might be blanking on the number, game number. But you know, there were games where Nathan McCann still didn't show up at times of the playoffs last year, and uh, he's gotta, he's got he's gotta be better than that. You know, if you want to win the the ultimate prize, uh, you gotta show up in the very biggest games. Um, same with everybody else on that team, and they they have to they have to go through it and they have to do it. Otherwise, you're just another team.
1: Right. I think we might be good enough for a guy to have an off night, not all, every night, right? But I think that the team has never been better, and that core has been together for quite a while. I mean, I remember when Sakic was getting the fire sakic chance from people, and suddenly he's put together yeah. a team that, I mean, it's legit. There's a real chance that they could win a cup and then win another one pretty quickly after it. We have depth in the lineup. We have depth in our prospects. And it's just a fascinating time, maybe minus the goalie situation. But we just don't know. Those are two unknowns in net right now.
0: Yeah, but they've also got a good young goalie prospect and just standing him is really, for, from what I hear, going to be a very good goalie. But it may take two or three years for him. Um, yeah, I know. Goaltending, you know, it's uh, it's the biggest thing. I mean, uh, Philip Grubauer won a round last year. It was good against San Jose. Um, kind of felt like he didn't. Rise to the level that he could have in game seven against the Sharks. You know, they had that road game. I don't think the Sharks really, I think they had a really good start. And of course, they scored on a lucky goal. I think Don got the first goal. It was kind of yeah. a lucky goal. <laughs>
1: the Sharks had a lot of funky things happen to them last year that got them where they were. Um.
0: Yeah. Gabe Landerscog doesn't look at the, you know, play in front of them and, takes his time going to the bench. He gets called for an offside on a Colin Wilson goal. I think that they, I think if that goal had counted, I think the Owls would win that game. But I think that disallowed goal just totally totally set the Owls back for like another 10, 15 minutes in the game. And before that you – know, before you know it, like times run out, they lose a three to two games, you know. They should have won that series. They were the better team, I think, than the Sharks. I think so, Frustrating too. Frustrating
1: loss. Yeah, and hopefully that's fuel, you know. Hopefully that's firing people up and getting them going, but I really think oh, that's,
0: and... that's the cliche. Like, you're always, you know, stepping stones to winning, but, I've, you know, I've covered a lot of – I've seen a lot of teams that supposedly learned from their failures and they just never got they – never, they never actually learned to, to win at all. I mean, there's a lot of teams that were always knocking on the doorstep and never won, you know. Um, like Vancouver Canucks, the away from the San Jose Sharks, you know, they – they they were great, great team for like 10 straight years, but they never could win that final big game in the cup or anything. You know, they had so many good teams, but they only made one cup final and then they lost it. So it, it really, you know, it's, it's so many – who knows what the real – Difference maker is, but you know, it's uh, it goes fast if you don't take advantage in your window. You know, now the sharks are looking at at least, you know, what I mean, you can always win no matter what if you get a lucky year, but I mean, the sharks are at least four to five years away from contending again, I think.
1: Well, and it's, it's such a different game when you get to the playoffs. I know that's really common to say that, but it's just true. You see teams that are blowing other teams up get shut down by a system oh, yes. or you know, an, an injury takes things out of whack where, I mean, the Lightning, to me, I, I don't know, I really thought they were just going to blow everybody out of the water a couple times. Me too. and It's just nothing there. I I don't know what to make of that. And I don't know how we respond to that because I think that we're one of the better offensive teams in the league. And we have some real prominent players that we can move around from one to two lines, but when it comes down to, can we be shut down? Yeah. And sometimes it makes somebody like McKinnon really kind of, I don't know what the word is. I'm looking for, have that off game, you know, he gets frustrated. Yeah. Um, And that's where I'm, that's where I'm looking to as this thing starts is when we hit that first bit of adversity, what happens?
0: Right. Well, thing is, they've got so much better depth, I think, than they did before. I mean, that second line is a good line, assuming they can stay healthy. But that's the other topic of this whole conversation. The Avalanche have never shown they can stay healthy for anything. Even when they won the Cup the last time in 2001, Peter Forsberg goes down with a season-ending injury after the second round. It's like they're never healthy enough to win. Yeah, I mean, so remember when
1: that happened, I was gutted. <laughs>
0: that's been the biggest – I think that's been one of the biggest things that's kept the Avalanche back from winning Cups is their health. They never stay healthy enough. Don't forget – remember 2008 when they won the first round against Minnesota and they're mm-hmm. going into the second round against Detroit and um, everybody's like, wow, we've got a damn good team. They had Ryan Smith on the third line on that team. They had Peter Forsberg back, Joe Sackick. Paul Stastny. They still had Hayduke, you know, um, and um, all kinds of depth on the blue line. They had Adam Foote uh, and, you know, um, and they just fell apart with injuries all of a sudden. It was over in four games. You know, Forsberg gets hurt from a pregame skate.
1: Uh, I mean, everybody he was, else went He out. was a bag of problems and injuries anyway, so there was always something. Oh, yeah. Like he when you said that he didn't a, work out as hard as the he other guys, was, I'm like,
0: good, he would have got hurt. He was just always hurt, wasn't he? he you think back to Forsberg's last six years, of Kurt. Always, always hurt. You know, just never could stay healthy, ever. I mean, he always had something. To feed. Yeah, was the feet. Yeah, that was weird. That was just a he weird had like thing. A, he, had like a, he had like a torn groin in the uh, 2008 series. I remember – um, I don't think it was widely reported, but he had, to, he had to wear, like, an electrode or something to his groin to play in the one game he did in that series, game four against the Wings. It was some kind of electrical impulse thing that flashed electrical yep. pulses to his hurt muscle in his groin or something. I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy. You know, that was just to get him to play one game. Um, yeah, injuries suck. They always take the fun out of it, but uh, – You know, now we're looking at an Avalanche team uh, 10 days away from playing their first round-robin game where uh, Kale McCarr hasn't been on the ice for three straight days, and we don't know what's wrong with him.
1: Yeah, I don't know what's going on there either. I haven't been keeping up as much as I should. Uh, mostly just because social media pisses me off sometimes. Not the sports <laughs> as much as the other you stuff. You like social but
0: media? Oh, so that's f- why I have so many different though, accounts. Man.
1: Like, I got one that's just for know? hockey, but nobody else plays that game. Everybody brings their politics to my hockey <laughs> Twitter.
0: Uh, I learned that lesson at least. I don't do politics on Twitter. I've had maybe one or two tweets. But I, I'll tell you honestly, man, I, I mean this from the heart. I hate both sides in politics now. Like I grew up a real liberal, uh, grew up on a commute in Vermont, you know, Mm uh, no nuke stickers on the cars, uh, drank champagne with my parents when Richard Dixon resigned. You know, I'm not kidding about that. 1974, (laughs) I was nine. My parents gave me a little flute of champagne. (laughs) That was worth something. but you know, I can't stand both sides now. I mean, I think I can't stand the, uh, you know, the, the, sort of PC left now that sort of feel like they're even more, um, you know, like watch what you say, what you watch what you do. Like it's like 1984 all over again here with George Orwell. I mean, you can't say the wrong thing with the left-wing crowd now or you're canceled. Yeah, the um,
1: cancel culture. The
0: right-wing, you know, it speaks for itself. I mean, we've got Donald Trump as a president. Uh, you know, I thought I'd like Donald Trump as a president. And I shouldn't say too much about this, obviously, but... I liked Donald Trump in the 80s. I I was a kid in the 80s. I liked Donald Trump. Go getter, hustler, you know, wheeler dealer. You know, I liked him. (laughs) I haven't liked him as much as the president. Uh, I'll just leave it at that.
1: Yeah, I've never been a big fan. But, you know, what's interesting (laughs) is you don't hear the hockey players really get into politics ever. And I figured there'd be one or two, like EJ might throw something out there for you, or one of these guys (laughs) who's outspoken, but while they're playing the game, I don't know if they're talked to or if they're like, hey, don't go there like
0: no they don't care enough about politics no they're not into politics as an athlete you just don't have the time to get into politics i think the last guy who was seriously into politics that i covered was sean podine and he was a a green party member with ralph nader Hmm. Um, he was a big green party guy uh I don't know of anybody else who's really been invested in politics since then. Most of the players that I knew from the earlier days of the ads were all right-wingers because they, they didn't want to pay any taxes. Yep. Um, so they are always railing about the taxes. But, uh, yeah, no, there's no politics in hockey, really. We got enough to worry about whether, you know, winning games and then – doing our jobs tipping the debate about Donald Trump in the locker room. You know, it just doesn't happen that much.
1: That's the beauty of uh, hockey coming back is it's sort of anti-politics. It's one of those yeah. things that brings people together under the same umbrella to cheer for the same team and get over right? themselves
0: a little bit. Right. Exactly. And I'm the same way. Like, I'm sick of politics. I'm sick of the news. I'm sick of CNN. I'm sick of Fox. I'm sick of being told what I have to think or what not to think. I do want to have my mind taken off uh, things with sports, and that's obviously what we've all missed through this whole thing. I mean, sports is is the great uh, – you know, it's, it's a great equalizer and everything. I mean, it's always based on merit. don't you know, really – who wins and who loses. Yeah, I mean, you can argue that the best teams buy their best players. Yes, and I say that as an old Red Sox fan. I used to hate the Yankees for that. But, uh, you know, <laughs> it's still the – it's still true though, like, you know, you go on the field of play and you win based on who plays the best. And that's the bottom line. It doesn't matter how rich you are, really, or poor you are. Um, it's always gonna be people who work harder than you eventually. And and then then and then they get to be the well paid guys and <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm the same way, man. I'm sick of politics, I'm sick of the coronavirus, I'm sick of the sick of all this crap, I'm sick of the being lectured to, how to think all the time by by people out there. Um, I'll do my own thing for myself and uh, I'll try to do the right thing out there. But yeah, let me enjoy my, my private life and my sports. And uh, let's just move on with things. Okay.
1: Yeah. I'm not hoping we see the end of this too. I hope it's not, you know, one of these things where the cup isn't handed out because things got crazy. I've been calling it the COVID cup and I feel a little guilty about that by the way.
0: Well, I've actually called it the Stanley COVID playoffs too. I'm not going to do that in, play, in print probably because I don't, I don't I think yeah. that will be, you know, yeah, as a, it, right? as a quote unquote serious journalist, I'm not supposed to say that kind of stuff, but yeah, I thought that word too. I think a lot of people want to say that word. I, I, don't think, I don't think it's, it's going to, I don't think you need to denigrate this cup winner though. I mean, I really don't. I think it's going to be four rounds of seven game series and you know, okay. So there's not a huge bunch of fans on the stands and they didn't have to travel back and forth. We all know what's a different year. But I still don't think that uh, I don't think that should be a de- total denigration of who wins this cup. I still think you're going to have to earn it with four rounds of solid play on the ice. And uh, yeah, we'll all remember this year horribly. But uh, I still think it, uh, in the in the end, you'll I think the cup winner who wins this year will be able to say they won it fair and square and earned it. And I uh, uh, hope that's the way people remember it.
1: I think so. I don't think anyone has an unfair advantage going into this. I think that certain teams have had the chance to heal up, but so has every other team. Yep. I mean, the abs are benefiting from health more than anyone, I think. And that's great because, I mean, Miko yep. came back a little late into the season and then he got hurt and he never really seemed a 100% beyond his game, even though he was producing. But a little time, a lot of health, and I think these guys are hungry. And I think the abs, I mean, if there's anyone who's benefiting, it's probably us. I'm sure Crosby being, you know, rested is going to be a good thing too, but <laughs> – yeah.
0: You know. And yet, you know, you look at the guys, teams like the St. Louis Blues, I mean, they're, they're so tough. They're going to be – they're healthy too. They get Tarasenko back. You know, what if they just come out with that hungry attitude again and repeats and, and uh you know, they, I think they still have a better probable defensive system than the Avs, you know. Uh, I think that's still what, something that we have to worry about as Avs fans is that teams are going to find out ways to try to frustrate McKinnon, like you said, and uh, and then move on to you know the lower lines and and then it's you know if you're if you're gonna have to start worrying about like JT Confer scoring a goal in the clutch or or whatever you know it's like your third and fourth line guys you know we'll see what rubber rubber will meet the road there at that moment because uh, you know we'll see if they really I mean everybody's bragging about their fourth line right now and stuff so it's great for yeah let's see in playoff they really have to perform and and produce. Um, yeah, you know, they have, they've not had very good, uh, lower line depth production in the playoffs. The last few times they've been in the playoffs. Uh, and you know, that's still something you're going to, you're worried about. You know, you say it looks great on paper. Yeah. We got Matt Calvert on the fourth line and Delmar and we got JT on the third line and Junaston on the third line. But, uh, you know, guys can disappear pretty quick when the clutch. So I'm trying to sort of do. I'm probably doom saying a little bit here, but I, I've just seen too much on both sides to 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 know that. It's so cliche, right? It always boils down to cliche, but you know, we'll see. We'll see when the really time comes because uh, I've just seen too many teams. Eat. A drink from the moment, or uh, just not even get there because they just choked right away. You know, um, but I do think that this Avalanche team is uh, is too good to be, you know, um, like they're not going to get blown out of any game. They're not going to get blown out of any series. Um, it's just going to come. Last clutch few minutes of any game or any period, you know, and uh, guys like Nathan McKinnon, you know, he he's still he's a big player, but he's never won anything yet. You know, they said the same thing about Joe Sakic though. His first few years, I remember when he came to when the Avs came to Denver. Everybody said that Joe Sakic was a was a playoff choker, no show Joe. You know. Nope. Not very good playoff numbers for a while. You know, a guy is good, but he can't win in the playoffs. He can't win the big ones. Well, Sack so could finally prove them wrong in a big way in 96. Uh, I,
1: I love that Tom he's Spicer. pulling the strings too right now because he he has that history. He can kind of see in guys, I'm hoping anyways, yep. um, who, you know, the potential is so. there, man. It's just can you get them in the right chemistry? Can you get the right situation?
0: I think so. I think Joe's learned an awful lot. I think he was uh, – a little behind the curve as GM when he first got the job. But uh, I think he's caught up really quick, you know, Uh, he's um, I don't think he's uh, I think he's just uh, just a little smarter at his job than he was. I mean, I think it takes anybody a few years to get really, really good at their job, you know, and uh, and I think Joe was no different. You know, I do think that when he first started out in the job that he and Patrick Waugh were. Said all the right things, but that I always thought that that was not going to be a match that worked in the long run of marriage. It worked. I just I always thought that Patrick Wild would, would need to be the guy, uh, and was not going to. He just he was going to clash with anybody who had the decisions above him hockey wise, and that was Sakik. Mm-hmm. And uh, Joe prevailed because he said, "No, we're not going to try to win and." Cheap free agent signs anymore? Or old guys? We're gonna we're gonna really rebuild and do it the youth way, and, and rebuild that way with quality youngsters. And uh, right now, he's looking like the uh, the guy who had the better philosophy, because Patrick yeah. wanted to sign a bunch of old guys still at his his time as a coach. And that's what coaches do—they want to win right away. They don't have the luxury of being a GM and looking five years down the road. He had to win right away, and. uh, you know, he wanted to sign guys, uh, you know, um, you know, veteran guys that could help right out right away, and they they did that okay the first year, but after that it just didn't work. They signed Jerome McGinley, you know, uh, just a bunch of old guys that just couldn't play anymore, and it kind of set them back another couple years.
1: I think a lot of that he learned from the Quad too. When you bring those guys in, like we had the experiment with uh, Solani and Korea, didn't work at all, right? Yeah, Uh, who was the one
0: guy? I can't remember. That was a different story, though. That that was that was. I still maintain those are great. You know, great additions. Should have been a cup team.
1: It just didn't work, though. I don't know. They just got hurt.
0: They got hurt. I think they came here hurt, honestly. Uh, No, Korea didn't. He was healthy, but Solani may have had a little bit of a knee problem still developing, but yeah. Solani's injury was what really set that team back because look at what Solani did after he got that knee fixed.
1: Right. He blew up. He was great.
0: Blew (laughs) up. Won a cup with Anaheim. He Scored 40 40 goals a couple times in a row. Killed the abs, of course. Um, If they had had a healthy team with Solani that year who could play like he normally does, I think that team still wins a cup. I mean, people forget they that team still made the second round of the playoffs. They went to six games of San Jose. That was expected um, of every ABS you know, team
1: um, in that era, though that they would.
0: I know. know go deep in the
1: playoffs, or you know, we'll see what was, happens as long like, as we don't get destroyed. Like,
0: I know, I know, I know, I know. People also forget about that ABS team, though with. Korean Salani. They were in first place in the entire league on Valentine's Day um, in 2004. So that's February of 2004. Um, but then the injuries happened again. Korea got hurt in the final game of the regular season when, and I hate to say this, but Tony Granado was stupid to play him in that final game. Um, you're only asking for problems when you play top guys in a final game like that. Korea got hurt in the final shift of the third period. I think twisting and spraining an ankle, and uh, and he, he was useless after that. He, he played one game, game six uh, at home, and uh, and the Abs couldn't do a thing against the Sharks that, by that point. Um, yeah, that team I look back on and think, boy, that that team. I mean, should have rolled to a cup. You know, on the other hand, though, the, you know, injuries just take all the fun out of things. You know, they didn't have career or Solani. Um, ironically, I think Forsberg was healthy for most of that year. Uh, don't forget, too, they had David Abisher that year as a goalie to replace basketball, but Abisher was the, in the top ten that year in save percentage and goals uh, against average. Yeah, he um, wasn't
1: horrible. He just wasn't yeah,
0: bad No, he was good. He was good. I mean, if every David quarterback Abisher after was Elway very good was Noli. not Elway, right? I, I Same think sort of David Aversure. I think they should have stuck longer with David Aversure when, uh, when he was here. Um, I think they traded him prematurely to, to Montreal for Jose Theodore, and that, that just never really worked. Um, it didn't. I was
1: never a fan of that one.
0: Jose did have a very good series. the minnesota and still that series in 2008 but otherwise he was never very good for the Avs. um and i think david avisher was really on his way to becoming a a really good goalie here but i think that trade to montreal also screwed him up too it's it's really hard to go to montreal and be a goalie you know to replace other guys especially um ironically he was the guy who replaced law who (laughs) came to denver uh and you know another guy had to go to Montreal to replace him and his career really never worked out either, Jocelyn Thibault. Although Thibault did have a couple good years after that. He did.
1: We've had a lot of goalies. who have had at least one, you know, really good year. I mean, uh yeah. Barley for sure. We got the best Except of Peter eyes. Budai. That's unfortunate. Except Peter yeah. Budai. Yeah, but that guy just sticks around. Yeah. Well, I don't know where he's at now. I'm sure he's not in the league anymore. Uh, he's, man.
0: He's finally retired. Um we don't have to see any more five hole goals from Peter Budai anymore. Yeah, he was so um,
1: likable, but not, not particularly good. Very
0: probably. likable kid, yeah. but uh, I just couldn't stand watching him play. I just never liked this game.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. We're going way back on some of these and jumping around. But um, another guy that we brought in, I thought more as an experiment or kind of for the fans, was um, Theo Fleury. Like, that was – he was a name. Yeah. He was a, a spectacle on the ice, and it turns out he was off the ice too. And, you know, his, I never read his book, but I get the idea of what went on. And It's a great book. Is it? It's
0: a great book. Fantastic book. Yeah, I would highly urge you to read yeah, it. It's great. Really, Who Speak
1: out for me on books. What what hockey books are in your top five? Uh, or I would put,
0: put Flurry's book at number one. I mean, it's it's really, really good. Okay. Well, it was written by another writer who, you know, I think wrote it all. But but it, it's Nothing really, in, it's in Flurry's voice, though, that you can tell. Um, He's a fantastic. hockey player. It's fine oh, if somebody God. tells
1: a story for him, you know?
0: It's a fantastic book. And the stuff he went through, man, I mean,. It'll make your stomach churn, you know. Um, it's horrific what he went through as a young kid uh, playing for Graham James. Um, the fact that he had a career at all is amazing to his testament of character. Uh, if you read what he went through, you know, the fact that he was able to play and, and have a really good, excellent career is just mind-boggling. You know, the kid is just so tough. Um, I think yeah, you're under underestimating Fleury's uh, time with the abs, too. He had uh, 24 points in 15 regular season games. That's almost two points a game. And, uh, you know, he's pretty good in certain times in the playoffs, too. Um, he scored a couple big goals in that Detroit series victory in the second round. He, uh, I think, he had a point of game in the playoffs. Still, average. He, uh, he did miss that game in Dallas, Game Five, the uh, infamous flu game. Which, yeah, I think there was something off the ice that happened. And, yeah. and Theo pretty much admits that, even though he's never told exactly what happened. But you know, I think there's something definitely happened uh, off the ice. And so, but he missed that game. They won that game, though. So. Uh, he played in game six and game seven in that series, and he was actually had a lot of chances. Uh, he he got robbed by Eddie Belfort a couple of times. And, uh, you know, the guy could have easily played in the Stanley Cup finals without Eddie Belfort still going off going ham on him in the last yeah. two games of that Belfort series. So I think he's, he played the pretty ass. well. I thought he played pretty well. I don't think it was ever a perfect fit with the house for sure. But, you know. He, uh, he was not a bust with the Owls. It, 24 points in 15 games is pretty darn good.
1: Yeah, I think it just represents a, a different era, like the, the LaCroix era. Like He was willing to make some <laughs> trades that a lot of times would work out, but sometimes just didn't, and he, he was willing to roll those dice and take that chance, and I admired well, him forget, for it.
0: But... Hey, man, th- don't forget about one other part of that trade that was flurry. Chris Dingman came to the Owls in that trade. Chris Dingman of played a very big role in the Avalanche winning the Stanley Cup in 2001. And nobody ever talks about this, yep. except me, I feel like. He was a big but dude. Chris, Chris Dingman played a very good role in the Avalanche beating the Devils in the Stanley Cup Finals. It was his play that he basically forced Scott Gomez to turn over the puck at the uh, boards by the Devils' bench that led to the turnover, that led to Adam Foote's goal that scored the first goal in that critical game six victory. Without that play by Dingman, that goal does not happen. So that was a huge play by a guy who was included in that trade. So that trade was not that everybody likes to portray it as for Pierre Lacroix. The real bust trade for Pierre Lacroix was the Chris Drury trade in yeah. Calgary.
1: Everyone in the world um, will agree with you on that one, that that was just silly. There had to be something more to that. Uh, I don't know. I, Even if there's not, I like to believe there's a story there that makes sense. Cause otherwise it's just baffling well,
0: to me. The story was that Pierre Lacroix fell in love with the three headed monster concept on defense. He won one, which was Bork foot and Blake. Mm-hmm. So when Bork retired, um, he wanted, he felt like he needed that other third defenseman, the monster. And there was this kid named Derek Morris who was, you know, young, up-and-coming stud on the blue line. And Pierre thought that this guy was going to be the answer to basically replace Bork and be be the third guy on that monster. Um, and so he traded Drury and Stefan Yell for him. And the, and the Isles got some other players in that too. I think Dean, Dean McCammon, Jeff Shantz. Uh, and the trade just did not work. Derek Morris... The uh, all-star that he was supposed to be, he was—he uh, just wasn't very good, really, with the abs. He—he uh, he was supposed to be this sort of physical guy, who's in your face and tough. And really, he just played kind of a ham and egg kind of defensive game. That was good enough for him for to have a, a double-digit year career in the NHL. <laughs> But he never won anything and he just was not the right fit for that Avalanche team and, and losing Chris Drury and Stefan Yell were two critical losses on that forward lineup that they just uh just couldn't replace very well. Even though those next Avalanche teams did have some really good teams and won and made it to the playoffs and but uh yeah, losing Chris Drury was uh that's that's the uh that's the sort of um I don't know, Maltese, Falcon, and the whole avalanche history in a way. That's the bad, bad period of the avalanche history that I'm sure Pierre would take back if he could do it again.
1: Yeah, if I remember I Drury never showed up for any of the outdoor games or alumni nope. games or any of that either. I think there was some bad blood there.
0: Nobody really knows because Chris Drury doesn't do any interviews anymore. Uh, like you can't get an interview. He's like Howard Hughes. now. you can't interview him. I've seen him in person at games and said mm-hmm. hi to him and make mixed bloods and trades with him, but he, he doesn't do interviews. So, uh, and he certainly doesn't do interviews about his avalanche days. Uh, maybe someday he will. I hope he does. Cause, uh, I would love to know more what he really thought, but, but I can tell you for sure that he was obviously very unhappy about being traded to Calgary. Um, uh, I still remember Drury coming up to me in the locker room after he was aflame at the trade deadline and saying, Gator, what have you heard, you know? Basically, it was like, get me out of here, you know? Yeah. Um, and I said, geez, I haven't heard anything, Chris, and he was not traded at the at the deadline. He uh, he finally was traded in the offseason, the Buffalo. And, you know, he went on some really good times in basketball. God, he was a good player for
1: them. He was. He but, was just uh, so competitive, too. I mean, with all that skill I and everything, that competitive so many drive. so clutch goals. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I know. It's not it a was, fair
1: comparison, but I think that JT Comper has that ability to score a clutch goal for you. He just he's not that same skill set for sure.
0: I do, too. I think he's got that same kind of mindset, you know. He doesn't always. He doesn't always. Oops, sorry, that's my Alexa there. I uh, I have no idea why that's going off. Um, that's fine. Yeah, I, I agree. JT Conference got the same kind of mindset. He's first of all, he's an American college kid, a lot like Drury. I've always. I think he, he could be the clutch guy that scores huge. You know, he's already done it plenty of times. I mean, remember the clutch goal he scored in Calgary last year. Yeah, in the that's playoffs. His, that's his uh, whole
1: thing right there. I mean, that's what I'm saying. He shows up, yeah, I think.
0: Yeah, he's the guy who hangs around and scores that clutch goal. He's great, uh, too, he's, when he's on, on the a penalty more kill. Inconsist- more consistent basis.
1: Yeah, before yeah. he got a goal and were, we're on penalty kill, that's the guy I want to there yeah. because he'll generate some offense down the man.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm a huge JT fan. Uh, I, that's, I mean, to me, he's a perfect third-line center. He, I I think that Jared Bednar just needs to leave him alone at times, too. Stop moving him on the first, second line, right wing. You know, don't make him such an expendable part that you sort of – don't let him grow in his probably more natural role, which is a third-line center, you know. He he does still need to work on his defensive game, though. He still, for some reason, lacks, like – smarts when it comes to defensive positioning at times. I don't know what it is, but God, you know, remember a couple of years ago, he's like a minus 38 or something. Um, He's still got to work on his defensive game. I I know he doesn't seem like he would, but the numbers say that Still offensive player which he needs to he needs to be very he needs to master that if he's going to be a real true third line date you know good guy that you can depend on because even when Stefan Yell was the third line center, you know he was never much for offense, right I would never be out of position defensively I always made the hard plays defensively with a stick or whatever and uh, you know he played on two cup winning teams and when he went to Calgary he played on another team that went to game seven on the finals for the flames in 04.
1: Yeah, he's a great hockey player. He really is. He was always underrated, but there's so many other guys who were in hockey hall of famers, or at least yeah. going to end up in the rafters that were around him to talk about. But he was great. Same yeah. with Sean Podine, yeah. a little bit different kind of guy, but uh, yeah. Keene, another guy. Just there's there's a role for guys like them.
0: You need those deaf guys, those those tur- yeah, turkey just, guys, those the guys locker with room ploys, guys. The guys my Keen who aren't Mike Keene was Mike Keene was, Keen was the best. Like he was, there was not a better hockey leader than that guy. Everybody yeah. loved Mike Keene, you know. Yeah, he, just, he was uh, blood and guts, you know. He was just tough as nails. He probably hung on a little too long in his hockey. He played for like, don't forget, he played for like eight years or something for the Manitoba Moose. Yeah, well, of the AHL. <laughs> like, I that, that guy, guy too. They're like, for, uh, hey, Patrick waugh being
1: traded. You're going with them. Like that. That had to be so weird for him in yeah. his situation.
0: Oh, that was a great throw in, wasn't it? It really was, was, yeah, yeah. And that was so crucial in that trade too, because Patrick had no other friends on that team. Don't forget, this was the former Nordiques that he was going to. They hated each other. The yeah. Canadians and Nordiques they hated Patrick Wall in that locker room.
1: I was like thinking um, Brad May what from Detroit was it. <laughs> When we got yeah, him? you're
0: getting it. You're, you're jumping way ahead here. That's uh, oh. like. Oh, it's just the weirdness
1: fuck? of a, a rival coming to your team. Like, how do you deal with that? That's like us yeah, getting Zach Breezy at this signing. point. Like, like I don't know a, about that. It
0: was a bad sign. I still don't. To this day, I don't know why they signed Brad May. I'm like a this really one. Yeah, he's he's. one i going mean, the guy the dude. basically was, you know, probably going to be number one with the, you know, saying he's going to take Steve Moore's head off. And yeah. that's basically what happened. Then, uh, the Abs go and sign him at off season. Really, I mean, he did absolutely nothing for this team too. Here, that um, was a
1: sketchy trade. Now that you bring all that up, I don't remember that was LaCroix time. I guess
0: no, that was a f- wasn't that a free agent signing? Uh
1: I don't Brad, know. Maybe? I was just trying to figure out who was GM at that point.
0: Well, Pierre LaCroix was.
1: Yeah, so that's that's another one. Just kind of
0: he positive. thought that they Weird needed dude. Uh, dude. some more grit and all that stuff. Uh but yeah, that was a dumb signing. That pissed a lot of our Avalanche fans off. It's still to this day, I hear from Mavs fans who say, you know, that 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 trade pissed me off to the point where I wouldn't watch the team. You know,
1: there was a couple. Uh, I think people are pissed about Deadmarsh and Drury for sure. Even though the Deadmarsh yeah. one, you can justify that, but still, Deadmarsh trade is
0: right? tough. But you can't, you can't. You, you, you got to say that Lacroix made the. You know, he won in that trade. Really, in the end, and he got the cup over it. Without yep. Rob Blake in that 0-1 playoffs, they don't win the cup. Period. The
1: Blake was fantastic um, too. That guy could drop people at that blue line if he wanted oh, to, and it was always he was clean. Scary, he man. he it didn't was do. Scary. Yeah, he wasn't dirty at all. I didn't think he was just. He kind no, of, like, not he dirty. He closes oh, that distance oh, no. so quick.
0: Oh no, not dirty at all. He he may have made a bad hit from behind on the hit that basically ruined Peter Mueller's career. Yeah, uh, when he was with the Sharks. Kind of a hit from behind. But, yeah, you know, as a hockey player, you, know, you just get the wrong hit at the wrong time. And, if you, you know, genetically, if you just don't get right, you know, you don't know. I mean, a lot of guys take hits from behind like that that are okay, you know. Uh, Blake was certainly not a dirty player, but he yeah. hit you hard, you know. I mean, he didn't care. I mean, his job was to intimidate you coming across that blue line oh, man, I would see those hits lined up from, that he would make sometimes at open ice, and you'd see it coming, too, especially from sitting way up high on the press box, yep. and you'd be like, oh, God, here, hold on, you know? I mean, I would just sit there, ah! you know, even when he'd hit opponents, I'm like, heads up, man! Yeah. You know, it was scary. I don't like... I I, I like violence. Like, I, like, I don't say violence. I like... I've always liked you know, the physical aspect of hockey.
1: Um, Me too, especially with a guy like that, because that is just good yeah, hockey. He lines you up. Hockey. I mean, Z's the same way in a lot of ways where he'll make you think down. twice about that blue line.
0: Yeah, if you have your head down coming across the board, you're going to pay a price. That's the fact of the matter. That's hockey. You know, yep. I feel like they're trying to sort of legislate any kind of hitting out of the game still. and uh, I probably sound like Don Cherry at times when I say that, but – I don't really – I don't miss the stage fighting at all. I think that's great, but that's gone. Um, the more I think about the old days of hockey when they just threw the gloves down every period for, yeah. for no reason except for show, I think that's stupid. And it was a dumb waste of time for all of us, really. That said, I still like a good heated rivalry where if you really hate the other team and you have a fight that develops and, and they, you know, let's gloves off. And it's on, you know, yep. um, to me, that's still, that's real emotion. That's real hockey. Uh, you know, if they take out fighting, period, I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter yeah. what I think. <laughs> I'm I, not I a still, fan of that. I don't think they will. You know, the old saying is, though, there was never a seat, a fanny on the, sitting in the seats when a fight happened. Everybody got up to watch it, you know.
1: So one of my youngest um, memories is my dad saying that we went to a fight and a hockey game broke out, which I'm sure yeah from somebody yeah, else. That's, but.
0: that's kind of a, that, you know, that used to be true, that saying. That's definitely not true anymore. But,
1: uh, I yeah. think he said that at a Rockies game, by the way.
0: Nick yeah. Was. Oh, wow. That's back going in back. the old days. Yeah. Wow. Was that was old young. Day. Yeah. You are going back. Nineteen seventies Rocky Hockey. How great were they though? I mean
1: they were horrible. Don bad. Cherry great was it to have that team. Yeah, Don Cherry was there. Dave Cameron, Landon McDonald. Chico Laney Rush McDonald's, was my favorite. Barry Beck. I love Chico Rush. I don't even know Chico if that's.
0: Chico Rush. Chico Glenn Rush played on those teams. Yeah, that yeah. was
1: great. He had the best mask ever and his warm up with <laughs> his legs flying everywhere. And...
0: Yeah. Yeah, they had some uh they made the playoffs once as a franchise and uh, played a best of three series against the Philadelphia Flyers. Almost won game one, but yeah, they lost in two. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy it to think time, they used though. to have. That's the three first round playoff series, isn't it?
1: Uh, I didn't even know it was. You're telling me things yeah. I didn't know. I had no idea the
0: best team in the league would play the worst team for in a best of three. So you were you have one off. A, you could still be beat in a best-of-three series. That was crazy. That used to be the case in the NBA, too, back in the day. I remember thinking, God, we're going to, as a Celtic fan, I'd be like, we're going to be 62-15 and 15 for the year, and then we're going to lose the first round of the Bullets or something. How great Larry Bird? He was so I good. I would sit there and be frantic with worry the whole time. But, yeah, Larry Bird always came through in the clutch. Didn't have to, we didn't have any of those defeats. Yeah, he was a unique player, though the way he played was
1: was very kind of country boyish in a way. Oh God,
0: Larry Bird is my idol. I could go on on all night about Larry Bird. He's he's totally my sports idol, (laughs) and it's not because he's a hick boy or anything like that. It's just, but it's all of it. I mean, he was so, he just was such a unbelievable player, and just the work ethic he had. He was such a good example for a teenage boy he right was from new hampshire and never anything but himself too.
1: like that was the authentic never, guy right never
0: there. never 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 put on any airs never tried to be fancier say the just a hick from french lick man take it or leave it and i took it
1: yeah and the way he'd shoot that ball too that was that was oh, you could god. see a silhouette and know who's shooting the way he shot oh, that ball. oh my god he was such a great shooter
0: he was just unbelievable
1: Man, that was a different time, was time too, though. Three-time MVP, three-time
0: world champion. I mean, people forget how good he was. I mean, and I'll put his, like, five-year period that he was, um, you know, guess anybody's, you know, it was unbelievable. You know, his career, career averages were, I think it was, I still have this memorized, 24.3 points per game, per game in his career, 10 rebounds per game, per game, and 6.3 assists. That's pretty damn good, right?
1: that's really good especially for his era
0: (laughs) oh my god it's good in era. 10 rebounds a game plus 24 points plus six assists
1: and i mean he did a lot more on the on the paint or in the paint too than people think they i remember him as like a three-point shooter but the guy was good everywhere but every now and then he'd get on a streak with three-point shots and just drain them
0: toward the later part of his career he couldn't he couldn't Drive as much anymore to the paint because his stupid back went out on him and his legs uh, got weaker, so he couldn't, he didn't have that push anywhere. So he became basically kind of a jump shooter the last couple of years, and it, it really was no fun watching him play, even though he'd still have some games where he'd turn back the clock and be like, Oh my god, Bird is back. But you know, he just, he just the back wouldn't let him. He, uh, he has such a bad back, and I can certainly sympathize with that.
1: Yeah, you've um, been having your own struggles for a while, but it's not like – unlike Forsberg. 20 years. Who, Forsberg had a lot more hockey he wanted to play. He just couldn't do it. His body would not let him do it.
0: Nope, I just wouldn't allow it. just wouldn't allow it.
1: But Most I would love to see him ever. 10 years later in the league, like to come into the what we play now versus what he came into where you just got destroyed every night. He, in particular, got beat up every night.
0: Dude, dude, have you ever watched really highlight clips of his first few years, how much he got mugged on the ice? Yeah, and it's he wasn't ridiculous. as big then
1: either. I mean, he he was about the same frame, but he wasn't. He
0: 190 pounds. He was strong.
1: Yeah, he, but, he was great, man. i would never seen a guy with such a wide stance be so skillful. To no,
0: him. I know, and he just but he got mugged all the time. People, if you look at the highlights, just people guys would have two arms around him all the time. as a defenseman. He would just fight through it. He would take another cheap shot, and he makes them play.
1: Yeah,
0: he'd be. And then know, now, and then he'd go back at 140 somebody 140 <laughs> point guy in the league today. Uh, you know? Yeah. Um, but he also, in a sense, drew some of that to him. I mean, that's the, that's the thing that people say about Forsberg is that unlike Joe Sackett, who never, you know, gotten guys' faces and hit back so much, mm-hmm. Forsberg did do that. He, he would try to go back at the guy who hit him. Um, and get in their face, and get involved in all those shenanigans. And before you knew it, for Forsberg was the guy who get hurt—not only hurt, but sent to the penalty box too, along with the the yep. scrub who tried to stir it up with him.
1: Whose only job was to get him going.
0: Whose only job was to get get into Forsberg's head. Yep. And uh, you know, many times Forsberg would sort of be too good for those guys, but sometimes you get drawn into it. And uh, yeah, he'd get hurt a lot too from just. All the physical stuff that he he could have probably avoided if he'd been more like a sakic type, you know, the gentleman guy, you know? Yeah. Everybody's like, Don't hit him, you know. That's like Bresky uh, type of guy, respect, but but Forsberg just gave it back too so much so that people thought they they could get it's like, you know, it's like this social media thing. The more you get into it with the, the no-name idiots out there, the more you might get dragged into the, ah, some, some crap. He's yeah. not even supposed to, you know, you shouldn't even bother with them.
1: I, I try yeah. really hard not to engage, sometimes to not look at comments on any of the socials, but yeah. every now and then I get sucked in. So I think this might have come from your book, but I was, I remember either reading or talking to somebody who told me that Brett Hull uh, told somebody on the bench to not touch Mr. Sackick or something like that.
0: Yeah, no, I think that was uh, Brett Shanahan told Sean Avery that. Oh, okay. Because Sean Avery wanted to go at Sackic, and Shanahan was like, "No, you don't do that, dude." Okay. Yeah. You know, I think that's the story. Yep. But that
1: speaks to the respect yeah. that Sackic had for the game he played.
0: Well, Sean Avery was such a doofus. That, he was. He yeah, was he the worst thought he could. Yeah, I mean, he was just an idiot. Um, and he, you know, he thought, "Oh, I'm gonna get Sackic off his game. I'm gonna be able to hit him in the face." And it was like even the Red Wings veterans were like, "No, you know, shut up, Avery." You know, Um, yeah, he was the nobody could stand that guy.
1: There's a lot of guys Um, I don't like, but he's right up there. Like there's people like
0: he never won a thing in his career. Yeah, no respect Um, for him at all.
1: Like I can respect the Marci because he's actually a good hockey player, but
0: no, not a respectable guy. Yeah, I remember talking to him in the locker room in Vegas when he was an LA King. Um, there was that preseason. And uh, I remember trying to talk to him, have a conversation, and people were like – players around me were like, looking at him, like looking at me like, what the fuck are you talking to that guy for? We hate right. him. And, uh,
1: and, yeah, he found uh, teams, I like, right? I mean, what? how does that how does happen? How do people bring him in onto a team knowing who he is,
0: though? Well, but he was – was for a while he was kind of effective. You know, he could score some goals. He, uh, I think he had double figures in goals. Anytime you can score ten to fifteen goals in the league, it's going to be you know a lot of teams that overlook stuff. But uh, after a while, it just became way too much. I mean, uh, remember the thing you did with Brodura in the playoffs for yeah. the Rangers when he was screening him? Just, uh, you know, yeah, everything just took 100%. away from from the team and became a sideshow with him. And that's what hockey teams hate the most is a like a sideshow character. Yeah, it was the, all circus time. trains.
1: It really was, and he he went to that more and more as his time went on too. But
0: yeah, he really did. That was one it of was the, like, the least sportsman things remember, I've ever Dallas seen. Dallas signed him with like a four year, sixteen million dollar deal. That yeah, was that's what I'm worst. getting at is
1: how does that guy get such one clout of the in worst
0: money? free agent signings of all time? The Dallas Stars made a lot of bad signings back in those days. It's true. Uh, they, uh, God, remember they signed like. I think they signed Bill Guerin to like some $8 million deal back in the 90s. Um, Bill Guerin, very good player. He actually won a, a couple of cups. So the
1: player
0: one with uh, Jersey and one with Pittsburgh. But that was just way too much money for like a Bill Guerin. I mean, you know, $8 million a year back in the 90s. That was a lot of money. That's still a lot of money. Uh, yeah, and he was just he wasn't very good there at all. Uh, they, I remember they signed Valerie Kamensky to a deal, uh, he was washed up. Um, Pat Verbeek, uh, all kinds of guys. Actually, Verbeek was pretty good at Dallas. I think I'm thinking of somebody else. Oh, you know what? Who it was, it was Donald Laddette. They signed him into a ridiculous contract. I don't think he ever played more than 50 games for them. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you got to be careful with your money in today's game, man. It's uh, you know, be careful who you give that money to, who's achieved something, because you don't know if that money's going to go. Wrong. They can't do it anymore, and they just get lazy and don't don't care anymore. Really gotta, bold, really, gotta really right? gotta be smart about that.
1: Like I don't know what's going on with Bufflin, but man, that seems like a bad situation. I think they, I think he's not even with Winnipeg anymore. I think he's just done. But that's one. Who said where... again? Uh, Dustin Bufflin, just his situation, yeah. how so yeah. dominant, but then just fell apart so quickly and just lost the yeah. love, I think. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't kept up on it. So yeah, I don't with him but. so
0: much, but I guess, you know. <laughs> so he much, was just a guy force. was a big, big dude. I remember him yeah, grabbing he was, two dudes he was, in one hand. I don't Eden, think he can be that. Pile. I don't think he can be that big a man and, and last too long. How I don't you? think he can last too long in your late thirties and, and as that size, you know, it's too hard. It's
1: no, he was like the Andre the Giant of the ice. He was <laughs>
0: yeah. too big. There's
1: no way that heart yeah. keeps up and those ankles hold together.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's said. God, man, I feel that right now. I'm 55 years old. I'm, I weigh too much. Uh, my ankles always hurt uh, back hurts i mean what do i do man do i just go on like a starvation diet or something or i've never tried I mean, it but,
1: i play with all that uh, stuff too the intermittent fasting and i'm pretty keto, yeah i try not to say these things out loud it's like saying you know if you go to a party and you say keto nobody wants to talk to you trust me <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: it's Like saying, i don't polio. go to
0: parties anymore so <laughs> I yeah, I don't my party days are over you Long, think i've worn gone. shoes
1: in a week at this point
0: honestly yeah I, I'm partying and me used to go well in hand as a sentence, but I would have loved to have been there back man, the
1: yeah, I, I've heard some stories well, from I you and uh,
0: who's the I guy who owns benders. Jimmy Armstrong.
1: Yeah. I remember the, sitting uh, with you guys and that was just fascinating. I wish that I would have met yeah. you guys when you were in your prime a little bit more at yeah. the
0: partying. Oh man. Um, my, yeah. I mean, I wasn't anything outrageous really, but yeah, I I was a guy who kind of you know I was you know the saying you know live work hard play harder you know it wasn't it wasn't that I was you know some kind of deviant or something I just uh, I just thought that was part of the lifestyle too that I kind of got sucked into like you, you cover pro sports and uh, you know <laughs>
1: It's kind of like that. That's sort of the story and how it goes. It's almost the romance of it all, like the beat reporter on the road collecting miles and having beers with players or coaches or whatever.
0: Uh-oh, you still there? My job almost, you know, i gotta got to drink with the boys, you know. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I – Nothing wrong with that. Do it no. responsibly. I, uh, I never got, got to DUI stop, or right? anything.
1: Yeah,
0: I got in trouble for a while with sort of depression and, uh, um, you know, a few things. That just kind of. <sighs> yeah How could
1: you' not you're always on the road, always in a little room, like I yeah. like possibly not have some issues like that. That's why I was wondering yeah. when you said you're locked up for what ten days like what do you do all yeah. the
0: time I'm actually much better than i used to be. i mean this is going to be a breeze for me like you know twelve days in a place is going to be no problem at all i uh I'm a much different guy than I used to be uh even a few years ago you know i uh I have different things to divert my mind than I used to uh you know I'm really into uh you know, I'm into some yoga. I'm into all that crap about mindfulness.
1: I'm with you, man. Uh, I got a Calm account. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I do too. Yeah, I love that um, thing, actually. I, uh, you know, when you hit rock bottom, you sort of, it's true, you, you reassess all your what really is important. You didn't read really important at the time, but when you hit rock bottom, you do. And all you really pray for is a chance to, to get it all back. And I was lucky enough to get, you know, some of it back. So
1: yeah. and you start to realize um, that you're not immortal. And then you start to see your kids have potential and get big, yeah. and become little adults. And you're like, hold on. I got to get my shit together. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, you know, what happened to me is it's happened a lot. It could have happened to a lot of people from the business. I, I was never, you know, I was never like, um, just to, I don't know, a bad guy or was, I just was way too like uh way too in the cycle of like lack of sleep and depending on medication to get me through and, and alcohol and anything to sort of pass the time uh the times of boredom um you know and uh you know if you have your mind too occupied with stuff that you probably shouldn't you're going to you're going to say Something wrong, you're gonna do something wrong in a split second. And uh you could pay a heavy price for that, and I certainly did, you know. Uh, and uh but you know, I always remember saying even when it happened, right? Even the worst couple days afterward, I'm like Hey, you know what? This will be a new experience at least. I mean, it sounds so warped. But at least I'm gonna like I'm going to know what like to go through absolute hell right now. Yep. For the next couple of years probably, and you know what? That's gonna be a new experience. So in a way, I was like looking forward to it in a weird way. Does that's that just, sound stupid or what?
1: That's maturity, man. That's good self talk. You know, what is this I an opportunity so, to get better I'm mature,
0: at? Sure. I don't think I'm a hero. I don't think anything. But I do remember thinking like that's gonna help me get through that thought you know, but there were still really some tough times after that. Like, I, you know, I was still, you know, waking up at 8. AM and polishing off a bottle of wine before noon, just to get through that rough first few hours of the day. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd drink more after that. And, uh, you know, anything just sort of, sort of calm me down a little bit. Sounds like a Hemingway book. My goodness. Yeah, I know. And he, you know, didn't, look what happened to him. I, you know, I. Uh, but it's ironic you say that Hemingway was one of my heroes. I thought you have to be like Hemingway. Uh, I mean, as that's insane. I mean.
1: It's like being in a movie, right? And you're the lead in I your thought, movie. I really thought
0: that. I thought Hemingway's a drinker, he's a partyer. I've got you know, that's it's romantic to be a drinker. Yeah. a big? Scott F. Scott Fitzgerald. I mean, all the great writers are alcoholics. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I,
1: I mean, I get it, man. I love alcohol, and I do my best not to always have alcohol. So,
0: it's, it's yeah, I've I've pretty much cut it out. But I, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I uh, like I said, I filled it more of you know other things like. Uh, um. Yeah, I've got a spiritual side to me too. I'm not gonna definitely bore anybody with that. But you know, uh I think that was something more missing from my life at the time that I was always struggling with too. Trying to always worry always wondering what it's all about and the Bible and God and all that stuff. So um I think I've I think I've developed more beliefs in that area. But uh
1: i I haven't but i've noticed that my dad has (laughs) who's getting older and really dealing with that whole mortality thing and i wonder if i will i don't think i'm above it but i haven't gotten so much into that yet i'm just very introspective to where you know and i don't even like to be around people i don't particularly like people for being honest but the small circles i run in that's where i really you know that's where you can learn from people and pay attention to what they do but i don't know how you deal with so many people constantly chattering you up and being trolls half the time And
0: Uh, no (laughs) The trolls have gone way down. I don't get that many trolls anymore, to be honest with you. Uh nah, I mean, you got a good following now too, though. I I love the way that Colorado hockey now. Is no, my, out for you. my my Twitter following has gone down by like seven eight hundred followers in the last year. It's politics, um, man.
1: They see your Facebook.
0: Really? Oh, it's gotta that's to be it.
1: Yeah, I've seen your Facebook Come a couple on, times. I, I was like, me. I cannot believe he's opening that door right now. Why is he doing that?
0: Really? I I just Follow say down. stuff about Trump. Sometimes it's like everybody else is saying. I mean. I love our country. I want us. I want Trump to get great success, you know, but I mean, yep. when he's screwing up, I mean, what are you going to say? You know, I mean, I judge everybody by how they perform. I don't, I don't care. I, I wish Donald Trump was the greatest president ever. Yeah. And I, I you know, I, I liked Ronald Reagan as a president. I thought he was great. And you know, I yeah, liked George I Bush the guy, first. But... I liked him. I thought he was strong, good, good president for that era. You know, hey, I remember was like,
1: well, that was a plus. He's a great speaker. Presidents. Yeah.
0: Uh, he's president. I mean, it's this job, of delegate authority. I thought he'd pretty well. Yeah. It wasn't perfect. No president is.
1: Yeah. I'm pretty sure I mean, Kanye is going to wrap this thing up though and show us how it's oh, done. Oh
0: God. See, that's where I start checking out. Like I'm not going to that shit. I don't even know if I'm just getting trolled myself. I do I, 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 I think he was where actually going to run though. I don't know. That's where I turn off everything. I'm like, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to get into that shit. Digital detox, you know? uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's interesting. You say that about Facebook. I, don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I think, uh, I think it's just because of the pandemic and people turned out for us a little bit, and people turned off Twitter in general. Like everyone's uh, just so
1: frustrated too. At the same time, the last thing they want is more of that angst.
0: <laughs> no, I think.
1: I don't know. Maybe there's people who want know. that.
0: I don't. You're right. I, I don't. I shouldn't say anything political, probably ever, but. I don't, you know, I look at Facebook differently. That's my private stuff. You probably, you're a friend of mine. So you see, I have it real I have my privacy controls really set high. Like nobody can see my Facebook. Yeah, I don't go there very um,
1: often. Facebook just isn't my uh, thing. I,
0: I I swear to God, if if we, you know, if Donald Trump suddenly came up with the cure for the vaccine, and, and 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 you know, I'd be like. God bless Donald Trump. I mean, I just want our country to be back to where it was. I, I can't stand where we are right now as country. It's, it's really scary. I mean, we've got violence in the streets. We've got global pandemic. Nobody – we've got 10% unemployment. It's probably much higher than that. But I'm, this really saddens me. And I wrote this in my story yesterday. I wrote on my travel story coming to Canada. Like it was really depressing for me to be at the airport DIA with nobody around the other day. You know, I don't know how that could be. That's a big, that's a big economic hit.
1: You might be Uh, a better human than me because I would have thought that was fantastic.
0: I mean, yeah, it's great not having crowds to fight through to get your gate, but I mean, I know that's a horrible thing for the economy and public in general. I mean, that's that's bad. Yeah. What it representative. Travel, <laughs> travel is where you really assess the economy as well as doing when people can freely move out. Um, when there's nobody at the airport and stuff, that's a lot of, that's a big part of the economy. I mean, you know, right now we're just printing money and sending it out to people. Uh, you know, I, I mean the stimulus money, the, uh, the economic, the unemployment $600 a week thing. Um, when that runs out, you know, what, what's going to happen to us? I mean, this is getting a little bit scary here, man. I'm always like, yeah, somebody will take care of it. Somebody will, somebody will come to rescue you and we'll be fine. But even now as a 55 year old American, I'm starting to go like, holy crap, what, who's going to fix this? You know? Yep. Uh, that's a little scary to me. I mean,
1: I got friends who were buying guns who never had interest in guns. Really? And it's just, it's, there's a lot of crazy. What's, right a, now? Gun gonna duty,
0: though. What's a gun going to do for you? when you're sitting with no job. And, and you know, disease. I mean, you're going to shoot the disease.
1: No, I think they're going to shoot the people who want their toilet paper. I'm kidding.
0: Oh, God,
1: yeah. You get on toilet paper? It's jokes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I knew people would ask me about that. Uh, I have two rolls still. Uh, okay, because you're stuck I'm there for like, like 10 days. I'm not going to go into great detail on that bathing habit, but I think I saw I think a, a post okay. where you're
1: trying out some moose meat too. So you might need some <laughs> I toilet think I'll paper. Be okay. okay.
0: <laughs> don't forget. I grew up on a commune in Vermont. We have other resources. to If you don't, if you don't have any toilet paper, there's other methods. So I'll just, I'll just stop there. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: I guess you got some. Corn hey man, I had an
0: outhouse at age six. Okay. Right? I remember the stories about your
1: house, how you uh, got put to work building a house, if I believe.
0: I, I know, I man. Right. My dad's house, he sold it. What a depressing deal. Uh, yeah, thanks for reading that. I uh, That house means a lot to me. and uh, it's I think There's an offer on the house right now. I think the paperwork is going to go through soon. Um, yeah, for anybody listening who doesn't want to talk about my, uh my dad's house that he built from scratch – in this early 70s in Vermont uh, which I helped build as a little kid who was visiting on weekends from my Paris divorce uh, after nearly fifty years more than fifty years in existence is uh no about fifty years is uh' it's big sold so yeah who cares right it's just a dangerous old house it's uh it's a cherished place for me though oh, that sucks but yeah'
1: It happens, man. I remember what Denver used to be like. I remember going down 6th Avenue at midnight with three other cars. Now you can, oh, wow. you can rush hour at midnight.
0: Really? It Jeez. feels
1: like it, yeah. I mean, wow. this town has changed so much too. this whole state, but it's because we've got a lot of awesome here. If it's not the mountains, it's the sports teams, and there's just so yep. much going on.
0: So proud to be a Colorado and been here since 1991, and uh, one of the best decisions I ever made, and it was all on guts. We just – just a pure gut decision. Let's go to Denver. Thank God I had to trust my instincts, and I did it. And uh, I'm so thankful for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's great now. Back in the day, it wasn't as amazing. But right now, it's a great place to be. And if oh, I ever left here, place. I could never come back.
0: Colorado's the best, man. If I ever have to move away for any reason, I'm going to know I'm going to be like weeping tears every single night for how much I, how much I miss Denver and Colorado. It's... Uh, <laughs> It's you know it's where I have my best job ever. I Had my son born on marriage, <laughs> two marriages, still on my second. So don't worry. Yeah,
1: the second and the last one.
0: And my life, has happened in Denver. So um, you know, I just uh, and I'm not that stupid Boston, New England idiot anymore. Who like shows up to Rockies games in my Red Sox shirt either? Okay, I, I am not that idiot anymore. I hate those guys now, yeah. and I understand. I hate that. I hate that when you're, you move to a new city and you're still wearing your old team's colors all the time and just lording it over the place where you live. That's a dick move, right?
1: Oh, then they crank the obnoxious up to like 11. It's right so
0: away. obnoxious. It's so obnoxious. Yep. And I was that guy for the first few years when I moved here. Like I had my Celtic jersey on and my Red Sox jersey. And uh, what a dick I was. Now, be respectful. Come to your new city. Uh, it's okay to cheer for your old teams silently and stuff. But don't be an asshole sitting in the stands, throwing your hands in the air and saying how much you love Boston and everything. If you love Boston, why'd you move to Denver? You Always ever spend- ask that people to those fans. Always just say, what oh, are no. you doing here then, man? What are you doing here? Why aren't you back in your beloved city? Oh, i'm sorry to go off on a tangent i hate that shit now
1: i think the transplant tangent is perfect because it's real i, but, I mean i've lived in my whole thing. life too so you know
0: really so yeah. you're a native
1: second generation uh, yeah
0: see i can't i can't top you on, on that so i'm still a transplant in your eyes but i uh I can tell you that I, uh, I totally I'm totally
1: not not am up a Colorado on
0: that. man, and I've even eaten a Rocky Mountain oyster to prove it. You know, I've never so. done that. So You're more authentic. Than you me right you there. haven't eaten them. You're no, not. they Go told me what Colorado it was, now, and
1: man. I opted out. I'm like, hey, that sounds horrible. I don't think I'll put Dude, it in my it's mouth.
0: A, it's another body part of an animal. You eat you eat. Assume you eat meat from other things. What's so different about a bull's testicle?
1: Yeah, it's just not for me. I like the other parts better. It's probably better for you, honestly, than than a backstrap or something like that. But I got a hard Uh, stop on anything with cooties, and that seems like cooties. Yeah. (laughs) I'm still working on liver. I still haven't gotten past liver.
0: Uh, I think we better end up here.
1: Yeah, we should wrap this up. But I would love to catch up with you later um, and see how things are going when this thing catches fire a bit.
0: <laughs> okay check in with me if I'm not Jack Torrance by the end of this uh, stay the guy from the shining at the beginning of the shining and toward the end Then it'll uh-huh. be a mi- minor miracle so pray for me that I don't become Jack Torrance at the end of day 14 of this thing because uh, I am starting to get a little bit of cabin fever here <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. that's so- why
0: I talked to you for like an hour and a half here
1: And <laughs> hey, we might have won the, the longest podcast award here that is, of course, Adrian Dater, who you can find at ColoradoHockeyNow.com. You can also find him on Twitter at Adater. A huge thanks to Dater for taking the time to talk to us, and we'll be hearing more from him in the future. This, like every other podcast, is brought to you by ABSFAM, ABSFAM.com. Awesome hockey shirts for awesome hockey people. Stay
0: awesome.